Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain John Picard of the USS Commander Benjamin Sisko, the Federation Starfleet, Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. One of the last few episodes of a Star Trek podcast about Deep Space Nine. By a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a podcast about Deep Space Nine. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I mean, we're not ending the show. We're just we're just getting close to the end of Deep Space Nine. I don't want to scare anybody. I think you did though. I think you scared <laughs> a lot of people with that intro. Uh, don't go anywhere. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> we have so much more show to make. This yeah. is this is my retirement plan. As long, Star I'm, Trek is is an abundant resource. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm content to frack this show uh, forever <laughs> until my dying day. <laughs> I don't care if flammable liquid is coming out of my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Brockovich is the only one who can make us stop our show. I think we've gone <laughs> on record. Lord knows she's trying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Adam, we've got. Um, we're recording this before. The end of December. It's, uh-huh. uh, it's still the holiday season from our perspective. You can hear it in our voices. Yeah, all, all the merriment that mm-hmm. we're experiencing. Uh, but we're releasing this like toward mid-January. Um, so apologies that this is coming a little bit late, but we have a couple of items of mail, and I thought a, a little Yuletide mail call. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's in these boxes. Maybe they're gift wrapped. Maybe they're not, you know? But uh, but would you like to to do a little mail call with me? If these if the contents of our boxes aren't gift wrapped, I will take the time to wrap them, and then unwrap them on the show. <laughs> I'm I actually I'm I mean everybody on the live stream can see you're in a room full of Christmas wrapping That's supplies. Right. That's right. I'm gesturing so. toward those supplies right now. Uh, our, oh, oh man, our Look guest bedroom hearts. is where I record the show, and uh, <laughs> I don't know why in the fuck we have a bed in here. <laughs> it's basically um, yeah. uh, a place to store mail and crap it's a uh, it's a big sound deadening device yeah, yeah it really That's is the, the main thing it does is provide a, a better acoustic environment for you to record podcasts in well what do you say let's get into these packages yeah what do you want to get to first captain i'm sorry to disturb you i'm receiving a code 47 verify it is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. First thing we have here is a letter. This is from Brian in Coppel, Texas, I want to say. Capel, Texas? Anyways, one of those two. This is a holiday card. It says peace. It's got some evergreens on the front, some glitter. Glitter getting all over my iPad here. That's where you want it. Dear Adam and Ben, thank you for the last five years of laughs. My partner and I have been viewers from the very beginning, and it blows my mind that you're already headed for the little V in the big D. I'm not sure that's biologically sound, but go with it. Can't wait to see what tasteless, hilarious funnies you coax out of Voyager. And hopefully, Greatest Gen Con comes to Dallas again. Love, Brian and Dan. Wow. Thanks, Brian and Dan. Has it been? Especially Brian, though. Or is it really going to be five years? I used to have it on my calendar, the the anniversary of our first show date. 
It's in January Ew. sometime, right? This is around then, for sure. Yeah, we started at the beginning of 2016. This is this is going to be the five-year-versary. Wow, that's great. Happy anniversary to us, and thanks for the reminder. Yeah, that, that rules. Uh, really cool that it, like, how, how closely this letter coincides with that. Uh, I have it down that the Greatest Generation's birthday is January 25th. That is wow. our show's anniversary date. So, uh... That is, as of this show date, two weeks from today. That's coming right up. Yeah, we'll have to, I don't know, maybe we'll do something for that. Eh, probably not. won't. But. <laughs> we will record it and not remember that that is a significant show. Most likely. Okay, we got a box here from Andy in Portland, Oregon. Also oh covered in glitter. <laughs> I, I totally picture myself going... Uh, like leaving the the home office this afternoon and having my wife wonder why I'm covered in glitter <laughs> and smelling and smelling like stripper perfume. Yeah. <laughs> and why is it just all on your legs? <laughs> Here is a letter which was helpfully uh, helpfully included right at the top of this box. Dear legendary mothers of the House of Desoto, greetings from Portland, Oregon. A local comic book store used to throw annual Picard Day parties featuring an art show slash contest slash sale. I entered this diptych. Nobody wanted to buy it, and it didn't win, but now I know its true home should be with you guys or your garbage cans. <laughs> if you happen to know any doctors who might be particularly interested in one of the panels, feel free to re-gift. And if you know someone who might really like the other panel, please leave me out of it. You guys kick ass at a Mirror Giorgio level, and one of you is quite handsome, and one of you has quite the sexy voice. Many thanks, Andy. Wow. Hey, here's a question, and thanks, Andy. We're gonna, thanks for that. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just half of a broken pool cue in the floor <laughs> in between us, isn't it? <laughs> it begs the question, would you rather be the one with the great voice or the one with the with the hot looks. Jeez, it is. If you're not going anywhere like us, you might yeah. want to be the voice guy. I mean, I uh, mean, what what is? I'm gesturing to my own face. What is this going to do for anyone these days that it, yeah, that I'm not nothing. living with? <laughs> yeah, as uh, as pro podcasters, the the face is really worthless to us. Yeah, the the voice is the money maker. Wow, this is uh, this is beautifully packed, left and right artworks on this diptych. I'm gonna try and hold them up, and I'm gonna reveal them to both of us at the same time. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> These are quite a minimalist. I would say um, it's a style of. Um, collage I would I would say a minimalist style of collage and uh, and the left uh, piece of artwork is captain's log and it's a it looks like a bird's eye view of a toilet bowl with a turd in it and the right hand side of the diptych is number one and it's uh, just a stream of urine I mean, I'm seeing two pieces of art that should go up on a wall in yeah, a bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. Together. 
Yeah, I think I think those would go great in a bathroom, Ben. I think that's where. Why would nobody want to buy these? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. They look like really, to the degree that uh, pictures of shit and piss can be, you know, well done <laughs> and artful. Like the yeah. colors are really bright. Yeah. Uh, I like them. Yeah. There, there, there's something appealing to them on a kind of South Park level. I, w- I like them, but I want to be clear. Don't send them to me. I won't be allowed to have them. Yeah. I don't think I'm allowed to have them either, but uh, but I'll find something to do with them. Your studio is not also a guest room, and that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... That is one key benefit of this studio. Yeah. All right, Adam. Last package here, and I believe you have a corresponding package there with you. I do. It's from uh, one of the best friends at DeSoto, the card daddy, Bill Tilly. Yes. So he sent us both priority mail medium flat rate boxes. Uh, looking inside, these are gift wrapped. Whoa. I have... Uh, he, there's some Star Wars wrapping paper on on one of these things. Bill is always so generous with us every year. Oh, man. This is a real haul. Cards in here for me. I, yeah, I just got to my cards, too. Uh, did you get... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is that uh, that old scientistman who uh, who uploaded himself into data. Yeah. And uh, the caption on this card is the bells, the jingle bells. Uh, also, uh, a card for our for our wives, who Bill uh, always remembers come gift time. Oh, I see. One for me, one for. Yeah, that's great. I'm gonna read the card to me. Ben, this year's been a real dominion war for us all, but hopefully we're on our way to a better 2021 with hooves and hangs back on the menu. Thanks for giving me my cool new job with Uxbridge Shimoda. Here's to us all having enough fun to make Captain DeSoto proud. Have a fantastic holiday. Bill. Hey, that's pretty great. Uh, Bill has great great. handwriting, by the way. Enviable. He really does. He's also done a, a really nice job with the wrapping paper. My card says, Adam, I'm glad we've all made it through this Global Wolf 359 so far. Here's to a better 2021 and us getting back together in person for hooves and hangs. Thanks for making me an official part of the Uxbridge Shimoda Industrial Complex. Let's keep making more fun. <laughs> like it's happy hour on the hood. Have a great holiday. I have four packages here. I'm, I'm just going to start ripping into them. I hope you'll do the same. I I, I have uh, I have six gifts here, Ben, and then like oh. an envelope full of cash. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, the first one I opened is a Moon Knight action figure, which was a favorite comic book of mine growing up. Wow. The first one I've opened is a Captain Picard action figure. It's about a six or seven inch, oh, eight inch Eight-inch t- tall action figure of Captain Picard with 14 points of articulation. Man. You want all those points of articulation. Remarkable. <laughs> awesome. We should have uh, we should have done this on the Instagram. We're fools. We should have gotten Bill something instead of stuff to do. <laughs> oh, cool. I've got a, a, a Geordie LaForge wooden stackable figure. 
I'm gonna make sure to keep him well away of the women in my life. Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, like just a just something to to fidget with on your desk. That's great. It looks like I don't know how Bill did this. This is a T-shirt for Movie Express, which is the name of the video store in my in my neighborhood growing up. The 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 place I would go rent VHS tapes when I was a kid. Was oh my god! Movie That's a deep cut. I don't think there's any chance that Bill doesn't know our ATM pin numbers just <laughs> based on his ability to make you a shirt with that deep of a cut. Like his, yeah. his and it's m- also like a it's the type of shirt that's like that would be like the uniform at a at a retail environment. Yeah, was like, that uh, the logo? I mean, I definitely remember there being a film reel in there. I you, think that they had like a train. Yeah, I think that there may have been a train with film roll, film reels as wheels. Wow. But I'm not positive. It's, it's long closed. <laughs> when you hang out long enough with Bill, you can tell he's figuring it out. <laughs> hey, I got a Picard with 14 points of articulation also. Oh, man. And, uh, I Do like you think the- one of ours is Malibu Picard and one is, uh, is Prime Picard? Hey, uh, here's a note to the MC toy company. Uh, no one wears the phaser pointing at their face out of the belt holster. <laughs> is, your, is your Picard doing that? He's yeah, got he's got his dustbuster it, pointed up. He's re- and it's right in the middle too. Yeah. He's got total phaser boner. <laughs> <laughs> he woke up with morning phaser. <laughs> Oh boy, I've got a stack of bagged and boarded comic books here. These are uh, these are these are more of a friendly fire gift. It looks like it's uh, it's like mighty fighting marines and fighting army GI combat comic books. Superman and Sergeant Rock. Wow, I love a Sergeant Rock comic. That's uh, that's from Predator. Yeah, look at Superman. He's uh, he's. He's got a couple of chevrons on his uniform in this. I just opened up my comic pack. I've got a, I've got a number of Fighting Marines comics. Yeah. And uh, and a Moon Knight, and a GI Combat. Hell yeah. Awesome, Bill. Okay, I got one last one. Oh man, I got the uh, I got a similar uh, stackable figure, wooden stackable figure, but mine is Worf. This is great. I've got a little a growing collection of wharf action figures over here. This will this will go nice next to my Kern and my wharf that I already have set up. Last gift from Bill is uh, is a poster of an airplane cockpit. Looks like a, a Cessna <laughs> Skylane. Wow. Glass cockpit here. Airport in the distance. I used to have one of these on my wall. That's like I, Gage's airplane edition. That's what I'm saying. I probably referenced this on a show at some point. I had a number of these posters up on my wall when I was growing up of, uh, wow. of different commercial airplanes. That's the thing about Bill. He's not only generous, he's really thoughtful. That's that's pretty yeah, great. That rules. Um, the, the thing that is really uncanny about it from my perspective is that We've, we talk about it all the time. Like, I instantly forget everything I say on the show the second I've said it. Yeah. And 
It's what makes that, Twitter uh, not only an aggravating but a confusing place for me. <laughs> most right. Days. Yeah. Yeah. People just kind of uh, sidelong referencing something that we said 15 minutes into uh, an episode three weeks ago, and it's like <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Bill not only knows, but he remembers when, and uh, that's that's really amazing. Very touching. Thank you, Bill, and thanks, Andy and Brian and Dan, for all the lovely gifts. Thanks, Bill and Andy and Brian and Dan. It's awesome. Bill, Andy, Brian, and Dan sounds like a children's book from the 50s. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Dan had an accident in the threshing machine. It's one of those, uh, (laughs) like, lessons about, (laughs) about being careful around the thresher. Right, like yeah, like the so olden right. times, children's books were were like hard life lessons about yeah, agriculture yeah. and <laughs> and animal safety. Yeah, Bill was working in the meat packing plant <laughs> when a combine came down on his arm. You should never let your tie dangle over the sausage caser. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, do you want to get into? The episode that we came to talk about today, yeah the uh, the winds of the of the Marin Open at our backs clearly, but uh, as we get into the episode proper, I think it's safe to say we're tacking into the wind, which is also the name of today's episode. It's Deep Space Nine, season seven, episode twenty-two. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. So Kira is still kicking the terrorist rhymes to the Cardassians, teaching them the ways. Stop stop using people's real names. Start using the codes. I'm sorry, sir. I don't remember how the code goes. She's a great teacher because she's using the using the visual, right? Because nothing nothing slaps like a ship explosion. You know? <laughs> that's that's the attention getting uh introduction that you want. Yeah. She is uh, she's demonstrating that the the dudes that Demar is putting into the field to destroy ticks are not following the rules. They're they're kind of uh, improvising, putting the explosions any which where. And Kara's kind of pissed at that. Like Demar doesn't get it. He's like, it worked. So what are we talking about? Let us not lose sight of the facts. That the mission was a success. You need to start putting your explosives and things like shoes and underpants. <laughs> that way, what you do is you you make a society destroy itself. Guys, mm. you don't you right. don't need to resort to to other acts of terror. Yes, I've heard the lecture. I wouldn't say that she's like as angry as she is just disappointed. This is not clearly not the first time that something like this has happened. Well, then you shouldn't have to be reminded. Gul Rusat is like the hell is her problem like it's fine we blew up a ship that's what you want right yeah. it seems like exploded ship should be good enough but uh a lot of people complain about a about a team winning ugly you know like when the coach of a team that's just one ugly will often say something like right scoreboard you know like we won the game who cares how we won it that's what gulver right. about but Coach Kira is still, like, balling up her baseball hat and throwing it on the floor of the locker room, going like, no, this is not how we practiced. Right, right. Got to tighten it up. Yeah. <laughs> that zone drill. We've been working on it for weeks. And you guys go out there and you play the man? Gorsat kind of storms off. And Damar and Kira have a little post game, a post game after the post game. 
Kira's like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with that guy? Damar's like, nothing. I love it. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's my guy. Yeah. Uh, they, like, some interesting stuff here also, because, like, they use the names of some of the some of the men involved with this operation. Kira's like, use the codes. They might be taping. The whole like mindset of this kind of war is antithetical to the way these dudes have been trained. They are regular army general types Mm -hmm. and she is teaching them how to be a terrorist and they just they just cannot wrap their minds around it. This is one of those scenes that that low key. I think after you watch the episode, you may appreciate even more because. Kira has got so much on her mind. She's got the care and feeding of the Cardassian army to consider, uh, the defense right. of her own life as well as Odo's in the face of this working arrangement, and her feelings for Odo, which are growing in concern as as he's starting to not look so hot. Right. And she's still able to hold it together. Look at how great she is. Yeah, I I like the way this is telegraphed in in this scene because he comes in and she asks somebody like, is is there a an empty room that he can go be in by himself so that he can go be by himself and get flaky? Yeah. And uh, he does not know that he that she knows just how flaky he has he has become. Gul Rusat from uh, from like way on the other side of the cave was like, not in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go at that thing with like one of those uh, waiter combs that they use to like scrape crumbs off of your table with. <laughs> it's gross as hell. When I was a kid, we had a little a little uh, toy car on the kitchen table that would, you, it was like a Zamboni. You drive it around and it would it would collect crumbs and then you could empty the car out. Oh, I loved that thing. Ben, your parents tricked you into doing a chore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Odo is uh, Benjamin. Is, I got you a. I got you a gift. It's called Mister Steamy. You just fill him <laughs> with water, and then you run him over your mother and father's clothing. Thank you, mummy. <laughs> I love making your clothing flat. <laughs> So Odo's having his uh, his flaky hang when uh, when Garrick walks in, and Garrick sees what's going on with Odo, and immediately puts on his N95 mask and is uh, very concerned. And uh, Odo's like, "No, no, I, I'm not contagious to you. Taylors can't get this disease. Fake news." Garrick doesn't have a great bedside manner here. But I love yeah. at least that he holds it together after seeing him in the state, you know? Yeah, this is a heavy... I mean, for, for a man who is who prides himself on keeping heavy secrets, this is about as heavy a secret as he could have stumbled into. And Odo asks him to keep that confidence. Like, please do not tell Kira. I don't want her to worry about me. But every time I go on one of these missions and shapeshift a bunch, it is basically stamping harder and harder on the accelerator of this disease. Yeah, they did a great job with the makeup on him uh, in this scene specifically. And I think yeah. it's, uh, 
I think he looks worse in the dark. You know, so often like a makeup effect is made to look more terrific, you know, in the hot light of a set. But I think right. he looks more haunted and deathly with more shadowing on him. I think that was a good choice here, you know? Yeah, and your imagination does more to kind of fill in detail that you can't actually see. Yeah. Golden Golden so back on Deep Space Nine, Bashir has pulled four all nighters in a row. Have you ever done that, Ben? <laughs> I've pulled a single all nighter, but I've never stacked them up intentionally unless I had like really bad insomnia. <laughs> up since 8 a.m. three days ago with time changes factored in. I couldn't be happier to see you. Yeah, I just don't know how anyone could do two. But O'Brien yeah. is trying to talk him off of this martyr ledge that he's on because he's yeah. he's working so hard to try to find a cure to this virus that he's he's just working and working and working doggedly. You're not going to pull a rabbit out of your med kit. Bashir is like, I've tried over a dozen kinds of urine and none of them cure the founder's disease. O'Brien's like, that's that's actually monster energy drink, Bashir. Did you <laughs> did you think that was urine? Yes. <laughs> I find uh when I'm out of real urine, monster energy drink is a worthy <laughs> substitute. Especially when I let it go warm. Hard to tell them apart, even for me, <laughs> a connoisseur. <laughs> Bashir is cranky from lack of sleep, and I think from lack of success. And this is something that we know about him. Like, when he's frustrated by a problem, he can lash out. He's done it before. Except it's weird yeah. to watch him do this at his best bud, O'Brien. This is another episode of, uh, like, what is O'Brien's job at this point? Because <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien just kind of seems to come hang around a lot. But this, um, this is a type of person that I remember being around the office when I used to work in an office. Like, <laughs> what are you doing yeah, here? I'm, <laughs> you're, every time I'm in the lunchroom, there you are. What's that about? <laughs> I I don't care enough to ask. I, yeah. I'm just noting it. <laughs> mm -hmm. They talk about like what could what could they do because they know that there is a cure out there. If if this is indeed a disease that Section Thirty One developed, they must have they must have developed a cure alongside it. And if they have it, maybe they can just ask. And they they talk about like the possibility of you know having Cisco float a request to Starfleet Command, and that just seems absurd. Like if if anything, that is just going to tip Section Thirty One off that they've kind of solved for for the origin of the disease and only make them more jealously guarded of of releasing the cure. It's interesting that there are a couple of storylines in this episode that orbit Ben Sisko and his potential power to do something that isn't actually realized, you know? Yeah. He is a really chill episode. Yeah. Bashir is not into the idea of asking Ben Sisko nor is he that keen on O'Brien's idea of, like, infiltrating Section 31 <laughs> to find the creator of the virus in order to find its, its cure. And I think that's smart. Yeah. It's a very Alamo-like plan, isn't it? It is. I, I kind of feel like this is, the, this is like, good character work, though. Because, like, you know, what is a doctor going to do to solve a problem? Like, get in the lab and 
and iterate and test and and retest and what is an engineer going to do like try to figure out what the shortest distance is between point a and point b and that seems to be section 31 for O'Brien. I like that. We've tried and we've tried, and all we managed to do was waste two weeks chasing phantoms from here to Vulcan. Elsewhere, uh, Gowron is stewing about Martok's big loss at Avenel. Avenel. Should have been an easy victory for him. Uh, even though Martok was outnumbered six to one, it's not anything to be proud of, according to Gowron. <laughs> Yeah, they, he, Garon and Cisco are having a sort of where does the buck stop debate in a way that made me pine for a simpler time when the head of state imagined that the buck might stop with him ever. <laughs> Whose car is this? Yeah, come on. Whoever did this, just confess. We promise we won't be mad. You know what? I didn't think I would have such strong feelings for Martok. But this is a moment that made me feel that way. I was very defensive of him in this scene. I don't like people shit talking him. And Cisco is defensive of him too. Yeah. Like, like Cisco is riding for Martok to Gowron in a way that feels like a little bit outside of like probably what his diplomatic obligations are. Yeah, you know, Cisco is, has enough like cachet to blame Gowron to his face for his poor planning, which I thought was a. A big balls move. Look at Billy Big Balls sitting in the big chair on, <laughs> on yeah. Deep Space Nine. And Gowron, to his credit, doesn't kill him on the spot. But instead, right. like, instead, like, damns him with this sort of description of, like, you're just, you're just defending Martok out of social obligation because you're pals and not out of any professional opinion here. Like, you don't actually think he's a great warrior you're just you've just become close over the years you don't even care about warriors man and gowron's like i could take him off the board at any point but i won't because he's just so popular you know you can't do that right uh, he's sort of the douglas macarthur of the klingon empire right <laughs> of course not on cardassia change leader has uh, has now resorted to being openly flaky in front of the troops Change leader both shows up super late and looking like she does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's meeting with Wayun 8 and Thought Pren. Different thought this time. Our princess of Thoughtland. Wayun 8 is trying to trying to cover his ass because Change Leader is very upset that there is now open rebellion among the Cardassians. And uh, she doesn't feel like they can win the war if they if, if it's just Breen's Jem'Hadars and some Cardassians fighting other Cardassians and Romulus and the Klingon Empire and the Federation. She just doesn't like the math. No, so she's definitely of the mind that the torture will continue until morale improves. She's like, yeah, like we're gonna we're gonna start dragging people off the street and doing interrogations and. Uh, and killing families here until we can find Damar, making that a pretty big priority. And crucially, like putting Cardassian civilians into military installations and just keeping them there, using them as human shields. If you could only hear yourselves, why the very name is racist. I think Damar would have a much easier time killing a bunch of humans outside of a military installation. That would... <laughs> 
<laughs> it would only embolden him to press his uh, his rebellion, wouldn't it? We've gotten oblique references to Demar's family before and the danger that they could be in should he have made the decisions that he did in order to lead this rebellion. But uh, right. I wish we got to know them. Even just a brief scene of him squirreling them away on a cargo ship or whatever, I think would have been nice. I, I agree. Like, Damar has definitely, like, been shown, like, sleeping with women, not his wife and stuff. And That's- I think that his sacrifice would feel bigger if he seemed like more of a family man. You got to I mean, reduce like- the, the fractions, right? Because... That's what I'm saying, because all you see is his his infidelity and all you hear about is the family. I think you need to equalize that uh, to make us feel what this episode wants us to feel. I think you can have both, but but knowing those characters and knowing that that he has doomed them would either help us understand like what he was willing to give up for the dream of freeing Cardassia or... Uh, or, you know, just how callous he is and how uh, he will stop at nothing to get what he wants. Like, I think right. either would be interesting stories to tell. Yeah. But um, I feel like they kind of didn't get much impact out of this storyline because it was all tell and no show. I feel like we're at the point, and we can talk more about this toward the very end of the episode, where we're in the middle part of this conclusion, of this long conclusion story. And maybe mm-hmm. all of the weight of the story is pressing on this middle. Like there, it seems like there's very yeah. little room for anything else to happen besides what we see. Right. Yeah. It's under a lot of pressure. It's letting lots of farts go. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Gotta get the Dominion ships outed with, outfitted with these fancy Breen weapons too. That's that's also another line item on Change Leader's yeah. list. That seems like a costly and labor-intensive pro- project, given the size of fleets we've seen in some of these engagements. You know what costs nothing, though, Ben? Dunking on Wayun just over and mm. over again. <laughs> Which is what she does in this scene. Like She would flush him down the toilet if she could, but the cloning facilities are, are weeks from being operational again, so she's just got to deal with this fucking asshole. Fun. Here's a question. Is Wayun being set up for a traitor turn? Also, because I feel like he's, we've watched him eat a ton of shit before and, yeah. and be delighted Was in the Wei process. Was it Wayun 6 that, that, that turned coat? It feels like there's a visual language here. They hang on Wayun at the end of this scene that made me think that like he may have reached the limit of his shit eating. How much indignity he can endure. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the Star Trek caves where Kira and the Cardassians are working on their rebellion, they find out about this plan to retrofit the Dominion fleet with Breen weapons. And they come come up with the idea that uh, getting one of these Breen weapons to Starfleet would be awesome for intelligence purposes because Starfleet still doesn't know how this thing works and why it works on Romulans and federations but not klingons like all of that is still a huge question mark for them so this this is going to become the new mission 
I love that the goal is to capture the brain weapon in order to find a defense for it instead of make your own brain weapon and use it on the brain. (laughs) (laughs) They never refer to that idea. You'd think that the Cardassians would be like much more biased toward that line of thinking, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that that seems like a way that Jordy would think, not a way that Legat Damar would think. Totally. I had the same thought. It doesn't seem like Odo is going to be up for this mission. And this is a thought that Garrick has that he shares with Kira that that he may be a liability. He's like, hey, listen, I know in the last scene, Odo specifically asked me not to tell you this, but I'm telling you this. Dude is super sick and maybe should not be put in harm's way going forward. Kira's like... Are you kidding me, Garrick? I, I could keep up the charade for as long as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kira knows. She, she's known all along. A charade for dignity. That's what she's into. <laughs> Which is also if we ever the, had like a charity telethon, I feel, like, I feel like it would be called a charade for dignity. <laughs> I was just thinking of, uh, of naming an old folks home that <laughs> I'm thinking about putting dad in charade for dignity. <laughs> the uh, conditions there, not great. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pair. I'm fucking a pair. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. I love the framing of, of this talk between Garrick and Kira because that the scene starts on a super wide shot of the whole room with Kira and Garrick and Damar and Rashad all talking. And it's a very, very wide shot. And by the time we are in this moment where they are talking over how sick Odo is and how Kira is both maintaining a charade for dignity, but also willing to continue to use Odo for his maximum potential, despite the fact that it's killing him, we are in like extremely tight shots on their faces. And I really like that. If that gives him one last shred of dignity to hold on to, then I'll go on ignoring what's happening to him until the very end. There's a quality to Rene Auberginois' performance here that is great throughout. One thing that is absent from that performance, though, is what feels to be a mission above man kind of quality. Like, he never gives voice to the idea of, this mission's so important that it's worth dying for. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it's way Think more about- Think of all the children on Romulus that yeah. I could save. I think it's in the restraint from that that makes it clear that he's just there to be with Kira. Yeah. Like, at, at, his, at the end for him. That's all he wants to do. I wondered, like, the disease that he has- is is such a colossal crime if it's if it was engineered to kill mm-hmm. the his entire species like what would it take to make odo turn on the federation at this point if if he is willing to continue to fight on this side after after that that revelation yeah i mean it's not unusual for someone who has been diagnosed with a terminal illness to experience anger at their circumstances at some point. And especially right. when it, it seems to be intentionally done, it, it feels like a quality to Odo's life that should be present at some point. But it's not, it's not here at all. 
I wanted that in some dialogue in this episode, and I, I didn't get it. I was a little, little confused by that. I'll tell you who wasn't angry at being exterminated. <laughs> They're Hushnak, and you want to know why? Did it in the blink of an eye. They didn't feel a thing. They didn't get to debate it. They didn't get to process their feelings about it. They didn't sit alone in a room with the lights lowered, have friend walk in, see how, see what a bad way they were in. You could argue, and I have argued this many times, (laughs) that it was the most humane thing I could have done. And yet, who has sympathy for me? Somehow I'm the one that committed a crime that can't be adjudicated. All I did was drive the Hooshnock up to a farm on Delta Rana 4. (laughs) (laughs) They were so sweet and docile sitting in my lap looking up at me. (laughs) They didn't see the millions of shovels I had to swing at each one of their heads over and over again. (laughs) Shovel after shovel until... Until blisters formed on my hands. But again, all in the blink of an eye. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. <laughs> to, to them, it was a blink of an eye. To me, it was weeks and weeks of manual labor. <laughs> Time flows differently for a dowd. I mean, once I really got into the rhythm of things, it was kind of an assembly line. Again, I can't, I can't stress this enough. None of them felt anything. <laughs> it was really me that suffered in the end. I mean, Dowd OSHA came out and issued several citations for the repetitive stress environment that I had set up. And I, I have to thank them for giving me the, uh, the Velcro bowling gloves to uh, <laughs> stabilize my wrists during all of the, the shovel blows doled out. <laughs> Really made it a more comfortable form of execution. Also confusing, Adam, is the fact that Worf doesn't seem to regret helping Gowron become Chancellor, despite what a what a turd Gowron is acting like. It's a tough spot. And it's a good reminder of just how instrumental Worf has been in the construction of the Klingon government as it is at this point. For a man who's so terrible at doors, he sure did open one for Gowron. He, he blew it all on that one door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this is a uh, scene where he basically makes the case to Cisco that Gowron is intentionally fucking Martok's program up, forcing him to to pick fights with the Dominion that he can't win. So that Martok will put together a string of embarrassing losses and Gowron can kind of reassert himself as the as the number one hero in the Klingon state. When Sisko tells Worf to do whatever it takes, does Ben Sisko know what he's saying here? Like is he <laughs> He hasn't watched every episode of TNG. He doesn't know what happened to Duras. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like are you are you activating Vigilante Worf unknowingly if you're Ben Cisco? I mean, if Worf had taken his comm badge off in this scene, I feel right. like Cisco would have known, but Cisco would have he... been like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa." <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, bad use bad figure of speech, uh not quite what I meant. <laughs> 
Yeah, but what this does is uh, it really sets up the idea of something coming when you weaponize Worf, give him kind of a blank check here. Yeah. Makes you wonder what's going to happen. It does. Back in the caves, uh, Gal Rusat and Kira are uh, having an uncomfortable moment. Uh, He thinks she is there to continue a Cardassian killing spree, like leveling some accusations about like... uh, you know, you you loved killing us back in the day as a part of the resistance. I bet you're just fucking thrilled to be out here watching my people die again. And then he yeah. puts his hands on her and pays the fucking price for that. <laughs> Kira, Kira kicks his fucking ass, and including a, a nice axe handle drop on his back. Yeah. Did you get the feeling that she had him by the balls at the end of this scene? Oh, I like that idea. I was not thinking of that, though. She's got one arm around his neck and one arm kind of down below camera. And, like, she does a couple of things with that other arm that make him wince. And, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe she's got him by the knee or something. But uh, she definitely seemed to have some control over how much pain he was in. You know what's wild is I think... We know exactly what Cardassian balls look like. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're nasty. I they feel got, like they I know. Those, they've got those like neck. It, instead of getting a little bit narrower, they they, yeah. they taper like, uh, like their necks. <laughs> In a strange way, I feel like I know what Cardassian balls look like. Far more than what Klingon balls look like, or Vulcan balls, or Ferengi balls. Klingon balls probably look like a bunch of grapes. <laughs> lots of lots of redundancy. Red grapes, <laughs> not seedless. Yeah, but like uh, encased in like a bony carapace for right. protection. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when my wife gives them a twist. <laughs> ah, the ongoing battle that is marriage. <laughs> Nothing twists my balls like a fight with my wife. <laughs> he makes some fucking bullshit threat on the way out, Gulrusat does. And yeah. Kira pays it initially no mind until Garrick emerges from the darkness, having watched this play out, and is like, you know... You might want to take that threat seriously, and seriously to the extent that maybe you should kill him before he kills you. Some bitch is coming back this way. Yeah, sort of setting up a zero-sum game between Rasot and Kira. Two will enter, only one will leave. I mean, you can't rule that out. You know Kira's got a dinner. Yeah. Back on DS9, Martok has awoken, and Worf has an idea. Here's the thing. When Worf brings ideas to Martok, Martok is often not receptive to those ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Worf has a pretty rich history of not having his ideas be taken seriously by anyone. Right. So this can't come as a huge surprise to him. No. And, like, kind of terrible timing because he's pitching Martok on a coup while Martok is still 
stuck in a bio bed with a clip show device on his forehead. Like Worf is like, I would like to propose a taku. <laughs> <laughs> we will start by crippling Kronos's postal system. If that doesn't work, <laughs> we will begin spreading misinformation about how Garon achieved power. Free and fair elections are the bedrock of any marriage. <laughs> we probably, given when this episode will come out, probably will regret that as a yeah. as a line of comedy. Martok uh, cops to the idea of him him just being a lowly Katha Lowlander. He can't he can't rise to the level of Chancellor. I mean, if, even if he if, even if he thought about taking a shot at Galron here. And going through with a taku, he doesn't feel like he's the man to actually wear the cape. And so that's where this conversation ends. Like, I I'm a loyal guy. Like I ride for I ride for the Chancellor, whoever that person is. I ride for the Klingon government. I'm a I'm a loyal troop. I'm not gonna do what you're asking, Worf. And I have a number of reasons why. And basically shames Worf out of the room. Like yeah. basically laughs in Worf's face for even suggesting it. Yeah. On the runabout, uh, Odo and Kira are in the front two seats. And then Kira gets up and goes to the back of the runabout. It's been done, Ben. We've made it almost to the back. It's. I mean, we don't get to see the like really roomy, spacious part. This is all kind of hallway stuff, but... But we're closer than we've ever been on Deep Space Nine, I feel like. That area of an airplane, that's where the galley is, but not quite where the bathrooms are. Like, right, right. Yeah. That's that's where we are. We're, we're in a privileged position. We find out about Damar's family, and uh, he's just kind of like, he's doing that uh, Republican empathy gap thing of like, I can't believe somebody would... Uh, would starve a family or put a kid in a cage. Why would they do that to me? And Kira was like, yeah, why indeed, Damar? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's almost as if you don't care about things unless they happen to you directly. Yeah. Why is that? He storms out of the room and Kira thinks that she has basically blown the alliance apart between the Cardassian Rebellion and the Federation. She's like, shit, that was the one guy I needed to be, I needed to have on my side. And I uh, I just flipped him the biggest shit I could possibly flip him while he was processing the news that his wife and daughter were killed. Oh, that was stupid. And uh, Garrick is actually like, hey, I, I think that was like exactly when you you flipped that kind of shit to Damar. This is a great Garrick episode, and this scene is one of the reasons yeah. why. I think he's going around the periphery of the story, doing what needs to be done, saying what needs to be said, even when he's told specifically not to say yeah. things to certain people. He's the sort of friend you want to have. He's proving to be indispensable here. Yeah. He is super good at the spy craft and yeah. and those little nudges to the situation that kind of line everything up uh, to go the way they need to go. Yeah. So they uh, rendezvous with a Cardassian shuttle that they're going to take to uh, to do this mission of trying to abscond with a Breen weapon. But back on the station, we get a scene in Quark's bar where Hezri and Worf are talking over 
what should be kind of a lifelong regret for Worf, which is suggesting an idea, suggesting a course of action to anyone. He's like, every time I do this, it goes terribly. I should just stop. I should, I should really just stop telling people what my opinion is. I'm bad at opinions. <laughs> it's that, but it's also the location, right? Like, yeah, like the, the palace Quarks. intrigue stuff should not be aired out in public. I feel like, <laughs> like they got a they got a cocktail and they they took it over to a bistro table at at Quarks and are just openly talking about a coup that Worf has <laughs> has propositioned Bartok with on a station that has to be filled with Klingons. And I wish we could say we couldn't see it coming. Filled with Klingons and and other people that are of, of dubious loyalty and like, or, or loyalty, right? Like the yeah. like what they're talking about. I mean, Esri's even worse in a way because she's kind of a burn it all down and start fresh kind of critic of the, of the constitution of the Klingon empire. This moment really surprised me though. Not that she was wrong. I mean... And I wasn't surprised that she was right in her opinion of things. I was surprised that it came from her. I didn't think she had such strong opinions about the Empire or its construction. And she is someone who has dabbled in in Klingon for a long time. But you never I never really I never really got a whiff of how she felt about uh, the culture or the politics of of those people. Yeah, I wonder if this is a new host who dis situation mm. because I definitely felt like Jadzia was like down for the Klingon way in yeah. a way that Ezri is not. Right. But yeah, I mean, like Kurzan and and Jadzia seem like we're both like extremely pro the the Klingon way of life in a way that this seems to defy a little bit. The main takeaway here has got to just slap Worf in the face, though, because Ezri's main case is like as rotten as as the High Council is and has been for years. Like the reason it's as fucked up as it is is because decent men like you just watch it go to hell. Like your right. tolerance of unscrupulous men like Gowron running it, like is the reason that it runs the way it does. I see a society that is in deep denial about itself. She's like, you want to get into some good trouble, Worf. You know? <laughs> I like this, I like this criticism. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Back on the Cardassian shuttle, they approach a station that I think we can only refer to as Freak Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, they... They approach a dog laying on its back with uh, with its legs kind of open and uh, just so many ticks docked. <laughs> docked at this station. This thing is nuts. It's, it's like uh, you got Shredder, but then at the end of the movie, he, he interacts with the ooze and he comes out from under the pier that's collapsed on him. He's 10 times scarier. Yeah. That's what that's what this looks like relative to Deep Space Nine. The last vial of ooze. He must have drank all of it. They put their, their ship in at a docking area and kind of use the classic Star Wars we're taking mm -hmm. this Wookiee to the detention area gambit. Right. But but the Wookiee is Kira and the handcuffs are Odo. <laughs> 
Normally, I'm the fuzzy version of these, but uh, in this case, <laughs> I needed it to be more plausible. Do you want me to uh, do the writing crop as well or uh, hold off on that for this particular campaign? There's a new policy on the station, Ben, and that is that no armed Cardassians are allowed on a Jem'Hadar vessel. And so they've got yeah. to give them up at the door. And what's great about the doorman at this Jem'Hadar station is that uh, he's Cardassian and he's into it. Like he's in on the plan. Also, yeah, no no Cardassians are allowed to be armed and also no Jem'Hadar who know what the leader of the Cardassian resistance looks like are allowed right. to be stationed there. Like, right. did Damar not think he would be recognized? I have no idea. It's weird to say. The least he could have done is put on like a beagle puss or something just to just to change his look up a bit. Right. Wear a hat and sunglasses, like a celebrity going into a coffee bean. Yeah. Change the spoon up a little bit, at least. <laughs> he does not. No. That was interesting that they go through a very DS9-style roller door here, as if the station is incorporating elements of of the Cardassian. Yeah, it's a Cardassian station with, with ticks docked at it. It's really cool looking. They make it onto a tick and are able to disarm and kill everybody aboard the bridge of this tick by having Odo impersonate Change Leader. And uh, I wondered if this was the kind of shape-shifting that could get Odo in trouble because Change Leader is very flaky in this moment. You know, like I like it seems like holding holding shape is the thing that's mm -hmm. that's messing him up. But if he's if he's appearing to be change leader but flaky, does that count as holding shape, or does that count as being flaky? I think it. I think it's an easier shape to hold if you don't have to be perfect. You know. Yeah, I wonder if if they had uh, <laughs> mashed potato alarms on on these ticks. Because uh, they they lick a bunch of shots and kill a bunch of people, and they don't seem to get in trouble. But um, but then they they find out that the that the weapon, the Breen weapon, is like in the process of being installed right. as of the moment that they come aboard. This is a quality to a kind of heist war film that you and I have appreciated over the years. The having to wait. And how much stress is involved in having to wait to complete your mission. Like being forced to wait. Being forced to talk on the radio to somebody who may get suspicious when they hear what you have to say. Uh, it had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Golrushat does not like this plan and wants to leave, even without the weapon. Yeah. I mean... He is sort of just looking for an excuse to kill Kira at all points in this episode, and I kind of felt like that was part of what was motivating him here. Right. But uh, but yeah, the stakes is really high, and uh, when stakes are the highest is when you want to cut back to Deep Space Nine and Bashir working on some yellow liquid in a vial. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You near, buddy? Morn, stop. Have a time. O'Brien's brought crab rolls, which is going to help get a guy through, which is great. Yeah. I hope you have something to wash it down with. 
O'Brien refers to Keiko as if this is a character anyone would recognize who just hopped in here over the last three seasons. <laughs> this is why serialized television doesn't work, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just hop in. You're going to be confused about who Keiko is. Yeah. They came up with a cool plan here, though. They're going to lay a trap for 31 by announcing to Starfleet Medical that Bashir has cured Flake 19. I love it. Good plan. Good crab rolls, Keiko. Mm-hmm. <laughs> num, num, num. Elsewhere on the station, Galron has convened a Pataklan group. Issue one. Where he's proposing another crazy mission. And there's a moment where you think Martok's just going to eat the shit. Like, there's, there's a moment of, of light pushback, I would say. Yeah. And then Martok's finally... Uh, Twist my balls, why don't you? <laughs> Twist my bony <laughs> bunch of grapes. You haven't got the balls of a bull canary bird. But Worf just cannot deal with this anymore. Worf stands up, takes mm-hmm. off the comm badge, and and suddenly the World Star logo appears on the <laughs> on like the lower on the lower third. Yeah. You know it is on. I always think Worf is going to win when he gets in a Batleth fight because he got champion standing all those years ago at the Batleth competition. Like, I think he's the best. This is such a weird scene. This is such a weird location for a scene like this. Part of me was excited about the idea of kind of a place with low ceilings, kind of like that quality of a of a fight in a phone booth that you sometimes see in a yeah. in an action movie is is fun and interesting but it doesn't if quite Worf swung a batleth over his head like the way he did when he killed yeah. Duras like he would gouge a huge hole in the ceiling and like sparks would rain down and that would be really rad but instead what this feels like is a fight at your parents house where, while they're away because it's like it's Deep Space Nine. It's sort of a nice place. There are objects in the room that yeah. they that they can grab from. And there's like a vertically stood glass table in the back of the room that, that is yeah. just waiting to be smashed. This is a this is a fight scene that I had a lot of problems with. I had a I, I thought it was Bad that we saw how floppy the stunt batleths were. I thought that Agreed. the stunt man that they had playing Gowron was really, really different looking from Gowron to the extent that I thought that somebody else had jumped into the fight at one point. Especially because wouldn't that have been so plausible? One of the things I was missing from this scene is there is a table full of warriors there. I can't remember any of their faces. And I feel yeah. like in a moment like this, as important as this is to the to the history of the of the Klingon culture, people should be reacting to how fucked up this moment is. The and camera should is, cut back to them. Yeah, it, uh, and, there should they, there should be that moment where you know who's on Team Gowron and you know who's on Team Worf, and some of them are like influencing the fight as it happens, like pushing people back into the fight who've been thrown into the people and and so right. forth, or like. You know, or the idea that the fight breaks out and there aren't batleths on the wall and like Gowron is a guy that walks around with a knife on his belt and Worf is not like 
does yeah. does Worf have to fight him knifeless initially? Does somebody throw him a knife? Like all of that would have been much more interesting. Like I don't Martok's like, here, take this plate of meeting sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> and Worf's like, No <laughs> The bread is ciabatta. Hard like a warrior. <laughs> I this fight could have gone on like Peter Griffin versus the chicken. Like you could have given me where was the time is what I'm saying. Like like for something so important, give me a five minute fight scene that go that spills into the corridor, that yeah. goes over the railing uh, off of yeah. the promenade. Like make it hurt. And it's not and to your point in the beginning, Ben, like Worf is so good, it's never even in question. I it felt like it should be more of a question for these two to be fighting, but Worf takes him down easily. And I just come back to the way they use that stunt double, the way the stunt double is like in close ups in in shots that don't need to be a stunt double. Like This is season just, two TNG stuff. Yeah. And like, I think this is a, isn't this a Mike Vihar? It is. Episode? Like, what, like, wasn't the guy's rep that he like was a total perfectionist? I don't know how this got yeah. out of, uh, out of the first day of shooting. Like. It feels like a schedule constraint. Yeah. Like there's some, there's some stuff in it that I felt like could have been really interesting too. Like when Worf's Batleth is shattered and he picks up two pieces, like I wanted to see like blood coming out of his hands. Cause he's got to hold them by the blade. Right. You know, and, and like really feel like how close it, it is, but it, it never feel it, it. You're right. It's, it, it feels super one-sided. Worf is like on his back on the ground. And I'm never worried that that Batleth is going to find its way home. And he kills, Gowron and gets up and they all start chanting Chancellor Worf. Worf! 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 Yeah, Martok puts the James Brown cloak on him. <laughs> like it's the end of the performance. Yeah. And then Worf is like, no, I can't be the guy. I can't be the guy. It's got to be Martok. Martok not having sought this power is exactly why it's got to be him. So Worf made the Gowron thing happen by killing Duras, and then he took Gowron out himself. In Klingon history, is Worf ever the Chancellor of the High Council, like officially? I mean, for like the 30 seconds before he's like, no, 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 let's, let's have Martok do it. I think he's technically the Chancellor. What a moment. Pretty wild. Martok, new leader of the Empire. RSVP Gowron. Yeah. I feel bad. He should have gone out a little better. Than he did. I, I totally agree. Glory to you and your house. So uh, back on the tick, they are still waiting. There's a little delay. They're they're uh, they're having more problems installing this Breen weapon down below. And uh, this is when Odo starts to really get sick. And uh, there's a nice cut where he is like put together and then he like ducks behind a bulkhead and Kira comes around and is like whoa now that's a bad sunburn <laughs> have you ever heard of knocking <laughs> I, I think there's some aloe in my dop kit do you, do you know if we brought that 
Yeah, but Odo, this is travel size. <laughs> I'm going to need the three pack from Costco. <laughs> this is when we get in a, uh, a pretty intense Cardassian standoff because this is the moment that Rousseau picks to raise a weapon to Kira. He wants to get out of here. He doesn't, he, he's like, listen, like, let's let them finish installing this thing. But you and me, Damar, take the Breen weapon back and use it ourselves. Like, we don't need to give it to these Federation fucks. But uh, uh, Garrick, standing there with a pistol, got thoughts of his own about, about this plan. I like the tension of a resistance person resisting so badly they can't possibly comprehend the idea of an alliance. During right. like all, all Rusat wants to do is take the fight back to the people, and 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 work with Cardassians to do that. I get it. Yeah. I get his motivation. Well, and like crucially, the tr- type of training that Kira was sent there to give him was kind of based around the idea of breaking down his willingness to trust people. Like, don't right. tell me the names of people in your in your cell. Right. Like, right. like air gap everything. Trust is a luxury we don't have. And so uh, he pays the ultimate price. Legate Damar shoots him in the back, saving Kira the, the work of having to do that herself, I guess. <laughs> but uh, they, they, they manage to gas everybody on the tick and steal it and warp out of there. This is a huge moment for Damar. I mean, on a day when he's had his family killed, like he's able to dispatch with Rousseau. Like, yeah, he, he even says like, like this is about making a new Cardassia and this Rousseau guy was all about the past. And it kind of goes to what Garrick was saying when Kira was worried she'd she'd burned Damar too hard yeah. on hearing the news of the death of his family. Garrick says like, if... If he is the man that we hope he is, that was exactly what he needed in that moment. And yeah. maybe starting to see that Damar is the man that they hope he was. So having gassed up the ship and gone, and by that I mean gassing and killing the Jim Dara board <laughs> on every other deck besides the bridge, and then leaving the button on the episode is Odo's terminally ill performance here. And Kira's performance is a hopeful lover, hopeful lover, but um, they're both recognizing the truth of the situation. Yeah. And Odo just wants her to be with him in the end. He just wants her to stay by his side. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. What a place for the episode to end. You know, like when you build this multi-part sequence you gotta you gotta choose the ending somewhere boy yeah and i guess this is where this one falls i've been watching for all mankind with my wife and we watched the second to last episode of the first season the other night and my wife told me that it was the last episode of the season so i was expecting like some of the storylines to tie up and it, everything was like so much more blown apart and desperate <laughs> and scary than it had yeah. ever been and i was like that's the end of the season what the fuck <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, oh there's one more episode <laughs> but uh yeah like like i totally feel that way like this this feels crazy but at least they've got that brain weapon maybe that'll help 
a lot of scenes that I liked in this episode, but almost almost a corresponding amount of disappointment due to the death of Gowron scene. Yeah. It's uh, I would say I'm I'm pretty conflicted on whether or not I like the app in and of itself. I mean, it, it's amazing how the ledger works on that, right? Because I'd say that 95% of this episode is really good, but that yeah. 5% that is the disappointment of the death of Gowron kind of makes me have neutral feelings about the episode as well. I kind of respect the idea of of a story creator going no character is more important than the story we're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Like that is a hard baby to kill when you're when you're breaking a show and you're breaking a season and you're breaking a series of episodes like that. I've got to believe that they wanted to do better by Gowron and just couldn't. Like they had to make the decision. Is it story or is it character? And they chose story. And we don't know at this point uh, whether that was a good trade-off, but that's what yeah. we get for this episode. Well, do you want to see what we get for Priority One messages, Adam? Oh, yeah. I really do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first Priority One message is from John, and it's to Byron. And it goes like this. Happy birthday, bud. You introduced me to this dumb podcast, and now I paid them $100 to say that you are, and always shall be, my friend. Looking forward to building more absurd art and traveling the world someday. And hey, Adam and Ben have to read whatever I put here, right? Even an MD5 hash out of this message? 3E01CA0250250139B9C1DF. 642F500DD3. Okay, peace. Was that the code that uh, Data read into the Enterprise computer when you took <laughs> over the ship? See, yeah, now maybe. our show's locked out, Ben. Now we can't I make any more episodes. I hope that doesn't like, brick anybody's iPhone <laughs> or something. I don't know what uh, that was. I don't know either. Ben, our second priority one message is from Lauren, and that's mom in parentheses. And it is to Baby Glenn. Wow. Message goes like this. My son, you are my Star Trek viewing buddy. What makes up for how you ruined my chances of going to Greatest Gen Con 2 Star Trek 3 in Boston last year (laughs) with your birth. Wow. I considered going anyway since you were due over a week later. But he who is my husband vetoed this plan. Wow. He was right. Because, little man, <laughs> you arrived during the show. Whoa! Baby Glenn, welcome to the world. Happy birthday. I mean, all things considered... We missed the birthday by a lot. Uh. Very glad things turned out the way they did, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little disappointed about uh, the possibility of a birth during a live show. That would have been wild. <laughs> You would be, you would for sure have been the wharf of that situation, somehow stuck with the task of d- doing the delivery. Let me tell you something. A Greatest Gen Con 2 Star Trek 3, not a sterile environment. <laughs> Especially not that Boston show. No. Oh, I was about as drunk as I've been. Yeah. That Boston show. My yeah. goodness. You didn't miss anything, Lauren. <laughs> 
Yeah, we burned the tapes of that one. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, leave a prayer to one message on the show, we encourage you to do so by heading to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message. Thank you. Thanks. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? Am I right? One of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the friends of DeSoto make. When we do a Code Forty Seven episode, people send in handcrafted stuff all the time. And they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! There's a scene where Gul Rusat is telling Kira, you know, you, I bet you love this. You're, you're just here to kill Cardassians. What he fails to recognize is that uh, the sentiment is right, the target is off. Because yeah. he would be correct if he were saying that to Garrick, who <laughs> just murders so many people on that bridge <laughs> in that takeover scene. Yeah. Uh, to me, I feel like Garrick is having the most fun. He's up for adventure. He's being the best friend to everyone. No one's giving him any orders. He's just doing the right thing at all times. Uh, so yeah, for that reason, Garrick is my drunk Shimoda. What about you, Ben? Good Shimoda. Uh, it is also Garrick for me for a different scene. Andrew Robinson does uh, something with his face in this episode, in that scene where Kira uh, <laughs> kind of drags Damar for failing to check his privilege in yeah. <laughs> learning of the death of his family. Uh, when when Damar storms out of the room, the look on Garrick's face is so wild. He's like, uh, <laughs> I can't believe you just said that to him. <laughs> and uh, it's very funny because he does kind of comfort Kira, but he like if if she didn't bring it up, he was going to leave her feeling worse than she would have if uh, right, right, if right, he right. hadn't been there. <laughs> so uh, it, that scene really made me laugh uh, in that moment. So he's my drunk Shimoda as well. Nice. Good one. Doing the work this up. We're also going to see if next week's episode is a good one and uh, w in what way we will be doing next week's episode. Of course, uh, it's going to be season seven, episode 23, Extreme Measures. Bashir and O'Brien link minds with the man who holds the cure to Odo's deadly disease. Wow. Link minds. Some kind of clip show. That's what they should do. It is it is well past due for a clip show on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm going to head to gach.biz slash game where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. And uh, I'm seeing our runabout is currently on square 73. And uh, it looks like out ahead, there's an nth degree episode that we could potentially hit you're required to learn as you play roll but uh, i'm gonna roll this bone and see what we do Chula! did i win hardly i rolled a two putting us on square 75 in a regular old episode of the greatest generation my favorite kind yeah Thank you to everyone who supports the show in ways financial and otherwise. Uh, really appreciate all the people that leave nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like us to answer a question in an upcoming Marin, uh, you can ask a question by uh, leaving a five-star review and uh, 
including a question mark somewhere in the body text of it, I guess. Yeah, that's how you do it. Uh, if you'd like to send us something for a mail call open, uh, reach out to the Greatest Trek social media accounts uh, run by our buddy Bill Tilly. He'll, uh, he'll get you the P.O. box. And uh, also, those are just really fun accounts to follow because Bill does a really nice job with them. Hey, the show is made possible by the support of viewers like you. True. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash join where you can, uh, you can sign yourself up for a membership that supports our show as well as the many other great shows on Maximum Fun. Yeah, speaking of other shows on Maximum Fun, check out The Greatest Discovery. That's our Star Trek podcast about all of the new Star Trek out there. I think we'll be kind of wrapping up Season 3 of Disco as this comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and that should be a lot of fun if you've uh, if you've binged that recently you could go back and listen to our episodes about it yeah, you gotta do that you also gotta watch Adam Ragusea's great cooking YouTube channel which uh, I recommend not just because it's a great cooking YouTube but also because Adam Ragusea made all the original theme music for this program yeah that's why it sounds so great of course he and Dark Materia you know you yeah. can't forget about him yeah. Dark Materia made the original them. theme song for this and then didn't didn't even realize that th- they were doing so at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which will not name itself after a weird mid-90s movie with Hugh Grant and Gene Hackman, where they, like, <laughs> get a bunch of homeless people and then do surgical procedures on them. Do you remember this movie? I Extreme do. I measures. I remember that movie being like weirdly crappy given the prestige of the actors involved. I felt the same way. Yeah, I, like, I think I remember this? seeing it by myself too. Like, I'm going to yeah. take myself out to a movie. How about Extreme Measures? And it like it just seems like a like an HBO film that somehow yeah. got released into theaters. Like, it, it's not good enough to be in a movie theater. <laughs> tell you what i miss i miss gene hackman as the heavy yeah that was fun those were fun days Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.